0: Hi Dreamers, this is Lucy and welcome to another episode of the Self-Made Expats with Lucy Jan, where I interview experts from all across the globe to share their inspiring and motivating stories. Today I'm here with Benedict Becker. Benedict was born and raised in Germany. And since 2017, he has been living in Southeast Asia. Vietnam was the first country he moved to. And after living there for about three years, he moved to Singapore and recently moved to Malaysia. He is an experienced sales and marketing leader. And with his expertise, he's been helping companies expand their presence in Southeast Asia countries. And he is also a speaker and a drummer. That's super cool. And we're definitely going to unpack a lot of things today. And I am so curious about his journey and his story. So let's welcome Benedict. Hey, Benedict, welcome to the show. So great to have you here today.
1: Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me on your show. It's a great pleasure. Thanks.
0: Yeah. So I do have a lot of questions. Uh, you have definitely an interesting story and journey. But first off, I learned that you wanted to become a rock star drummer in your teens. And now you are a marketing and sales expert living in Malaysia. So my question to you is, if you you know, if you go back in time, maybe 10 years ago, would your younger self be surprised at how your life became today? Or is it a kind of life that you envisioned
1: for yourself? I think I, I can answer that question maybe with a yes and a no at the same time. So so when I was a kid, um, early childhood, I, or like since then, I've always felt inspired by people that decide to to move abroad. Uh, leaving their home country. And um, so it's a little bit like the life of a rock star drama, maybe. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I felt inspired by that. Um, back then, my dream was actually at some point maybe to move to the United States. Um, why the United States? Probably because we watched so many of these Hollywood productions. <laughs> um, if you would ask me like today, if I want to move to the US, probably... Not so much anymore with everything that is going on there. Uh, but but still, yeah. So that was my dream from early age on. But then also I think um, like another driver or motivator for me to, to make the decision to move abroad probably has to do with my siblings. Mm. Um, so I have four siblings and I'm the middle child. Lucy, oh, wow. do you have
0: siblings? I do have a younger brothers. So I'm the oldest yeah, oh, okay. sister. yeah
1: that's that's a tough role to play as well then <laughs> your parents um kind of like test everything with you with your yeah oldest. yeah so i absolutely respect that but so my case also i'm the middle child and i have four siblings and um do you know how they call middle child?
0: middle child no not really it's like a sandwich i don't know <laughs> in the middle
1: <laughs> you can call it sandwich but also sometimes um you like to call it the forgotten one, yeah so mm. you' are kind of like in the middle, and sometimes it feels like maybe parents and whoever is kind of like forgetting about you
0: oh yes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so I think
1: this um case that, that I'm the middle child maybe also pushed me to tackle things differently, yeah, like um, maybe I wanted to to move like a different path than my siblings or than the than the average or normal person in Germany. But also I wanted to achieve or make achievements maybe to stand out. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I think it was another driver for me that um, put me on this path of like leaving my home country and living abroad. And, um, but then when, now when you ask me, okay, looking back um, from from now where I am, I'm still surprised. So, um, that I, like, where I have come so far, and, uh, like, with all these countries that I have traveled and um, lived in, so also, it's, it's surprising, I mean, like, um, yeah, where I am right now, but um, or, already, like, as a kid, my dream was actually to, to live abroad, so it's, mm. like, a, uh, oh, wow,
0: wow, I didn't know that, so you so first start off, like, you know, you were thinking you're dreaming of, you know, when you mentioned about like a United States, I completely on the same page with you when I grow up, like when I grew up, I, you know, I always watch like Hollywood movies and stuff like that. So that's the kind of like, you know, the image that I used to have about United States and oh my gosh, it was so cool to move to the United States, you know, so I totally originate with you. And yeah. So then when it comes to like, you know, I, I've I've seen a couple of your videos that you were really good a drummer. Um, when did you start playing drums? And then like, maybe you were, have you ever, just curiosity, have you ever thought of like, maybe, you know, I'm gonna do a road trip all across the globe while playing drums and stuff like that? <laughs>
1: So, so when I was six, um, I started to play piano. So to give you some background, I come from a musical family. My mom studied piano and the flute, and all of my siblings, the whole family, plays an instrument, which I think is great that our parents gave us the opportunity to learn an uh, instrument. So my first instrument was um, the piano, which mm-hmm. I think is probably the best instrument to start with for every beginner because mm-hmm. you learn a Okay, how should it sound like? How does like a C D E sound mm. like? How does it sound like? Plus, you, you, you get to know a little bit of like reading notes and sheets, music sheets and stuff like this. But then when I was eight years of age, my parents asked me, okay, now you have the choice. Like, would you like to pick a different instrument? Mm. And then I always admire drummers. Yeah, it's it looks so cool, almost yeah. like they're doing boards on stage. So then I told them, yeah, I would like to to play drums. So then by the age of eight, um, I got my drum set and I enjoyed lessons by teachers for most of the time. And um, I would practice a lot. And um, do you by any chance know that movie Whiplash?
0: Oh my gosh, I was definitely gonna say that movie because oh. but I was worried that you might, feel, you might think that, oh my gosh, everyone's talking about it. That's a cliche. That's why I didn't mention it. But that's actually one of my favorite movies ever.
1: Yeah, I love this movie too. Oh my gosh, and yes. It relates so much when I was watching that movie because like, there were times where I was like super into like practicing hours mm. a day, every day, and like my fingers were bleeding yeah? and like, I had blisters on my fingers. So, wow. so I took it that serious and um, but then so so when I started playing drums and I got better by the age of 14 I also started to teach drums mm, yeah, so wow. my my parents they would not give me like money or an allowance so I had to kind of like use my talent to make some money yeah, so this is why I then decided to start teaching drums when I was 14 and um, so then I could pay for my cinema visits out of my own pocket and stuff. So this also maybe was a bit of an introduction to like the business aspects of, of things. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So there was my first job. I had to make some money and um, I had to set the price for, for the teaching lessons and stuff like this. And um, I think when it comes to um, like this career path of becoming a musician, probably there was kind of like a changing point after I graduated from school.
0: Mm. So I went to
1: Frankfurt, Germany, and um, like I practiced a lot. I played in several bands, like a cover band, but also had like a rock band and we were writing our own music, which was awesome, a great time. But then after graduating, I asked myself the question, okay, do, you, do I want to pursue like a, a career in as a musician mm. or maybe? study business because also I also felt interested uh, in, in business in general. So, and then um, I did some research about music colleges in Europe, but also around the globe mm-hmm. and there was one college that really stood out to me, which is the Pop Academy in Mannheim. So it's um, like a, like a small um, college, which also teaches kind of like in business angle, like uh, mm. it's teaching about. The industry, but also it's teaching to musicians how, how to market themselves. Wow, yeah, so there's so many great musicians out there that probably spend most of their time in their basement practicing and like mm. are good, but sometimes they lack, um, they lack of like how to market themselves. So mm-hmm. I thought this college is, is the best for me because I have also like that interest in business. So then I prepared. Um, and I sent in my application, now, I was um, in the top 10, uh, I made it in the top 10, but I was not selected or like allowed to study at that college. So mm-hmm. they would uh, receive hundreds of applications, and they pick then one to maximum three. Per wow. semester. Yeah. So it's, it's very, very difficult to get one well, of those. That's so
0: competitive.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So then um, I'm like, okay, I made it in the top ten, but that one um, like college that I really wanted to go to, like they didn't accept me. They didn't mm-hmm. allow me to go yeah. there. So, um, but because like I gave my very very best, yeah, and I, like I was bit more or less rejected by that college, I was thinking again, okay, is this the right path for me? Like mm. becoming. And um, somehow also have this peace of mind where I can just kind of like sit back and be like, "Hey, I tried my very best; it didn't work out. So maybe it's not meant to be." Mm. Then I decided, um, I decided then to to start studying business administration. And music will always be my passion and my hobby. And I can play as much as I want to if, Mm. if the job allows, or I can set priorities. But it was then probably not meant to, to be my professional career. And then with, with the years um, after, like I realized, okay, probably like a true musician, which is also a very difficult job. Yeah. I mean, like, it's very hard to make, make a living from music and was probably not the right thing for me. Mm. Then, um, yeah, basically um, then I changed my focus on studying business administration in Wiesbaden and After finishing um, at university, I thought still that um, combining both of these interests would be like a great thing. So Mm. you have music and business. So that's why I landed my first two jobs in the music industry. Mm. I worked for a radio channel called Rockland Radio, where I was doing marketing and sales, and I worked for Universal Music. The, the major label, the biggest music label in the world. Yeah. And um, so at Universal Music, I was um, joining the international rock division. Wow. Yeah, we were like responsible for bands like Metallica, Black Sabbath, Imagine Dragons. And um, like, we were helping the bands to push them into the German market, yeah, to uh-huh. basically lift uh-huh. up. Whenever they had a new record out there, yeah. So that was a, an awesome time at Universal Music. Like I went to so many concerts. <laughs> just the fact that I had Universal Music in my signature mm-hmm. allowed allowed myself to, to or like allowed me to um, visit so many concerts for free.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I was always
1: on guest list. Sometimes I would meet with bands. Yeah, You know, I was holding even Ozzy Osbourne's, like um, his golden record for, for the amount of records he sold in Germany. Like I was sending it to his hotel. So I prepared wow. everything. Like, I was basically touching it. So kind of like um, I have a lot of stories to tell about this time. It was, it was a very great time. But then at some point, especially when you work like for a major label, like Universal Music mm. is the out yeah. there it's like I started to realize that I do not like so much the fact of handling music just as like a product that you sell. And it's basically Mm. a mass product. Mm. yeah, just about sales and making money. So Mm. let's say Alika is releasing a new record. We put them on priority A and then we we invest some, some budgets into marketing. But then at some point you see like sales are dropping. Then we put them on prior B, prior C.
0: Yeah. then
1: after prior C, we more or less, we're going to forget about this artist. Yeah.
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. Until they produce some new material that we can push into the market. So Mm -hmm. that's something that I didn't like so much. I think I would appreciate like a closer relationship with the artists, helping them through even after like, let's say, priority C. Mm. Yeah so that, that, that um I was missing a little and that's when I also then decided okay music is just going to be pure hobby and passion and it always will mm. but um business like I want to do a, like a, a, want to become my profession and then I changed after music industry um and worked for a marketing agency afterwards so then it was purely focused on online marketing, and I was most of the time in in marketing and sales roles.
0: Wow. (laughs) You do have an amazing story. Thanks for sharing. But I do love that. I think um, when I was hearing your story, I feel like you always do your best and put your best, do everything that way you can. And then when you actually walk away, you just... Have no regrets. I think, you know, as you mentioned, you try to apply for the school that you wanted to go and you gave the best shot. And then, you know what? Even though I made a top 10, I was not selected. Maybe it's a sign that, you know, I should just do music as a hobby. But then you just didn't walk away. You're like, okay, why don't I just combine my passion with a new business aspect, right? And then you joined the music industry. That's, I think for me, whether it was a strategic move or not, Whether what it was, but like it just it was very like it just makes makes sense. You know what I mean? You just like didn't just like jump to, for example, marketing agents directly. You're you still wanted to kind of like stay in music kind of industry, I guess. And then you tried it out for a couple years, and then you know what? Now you know I just wanna I try this I try this out, and I just want pure my music to be pure hobby. So I guess like you kind of like all the tasks which is amazing i feel like
1: yeah I, th- I think you are right and i think some people they call it like um, a champion mindset mm. yeah, you know, very good in something but i think this is not just a blessing it's also to some extent maybe a curse oh. yeah, because you have to, you need to put a lot of work in t- in, into things that you like or like your profession to because you want to to excel and maybe stand out doing that yeah so it's Kind of like a blessing and a, and a curse, I think, at the same time. But then you're right, yeah. So so once I gave my very best, I had absolutely, like, a peace of mind after that. And then making some adjustments or pursuing something different. But that doesn't mean that you should give up once you fail. Mm. Yeah. So, like I, had, like, I had the feeling at some point, like, while I was trying to, to land um, this uh, seat at, at the college... That um, there is another interest growing in me, which is like business. You know? So mm. then, more and more like the weeks, months, and years after that, um, I felt like, okay, I think that that was the right decision I made back then. And mm. now I feel
0: comfortable
1: like um, working in marketing and sales with a focus on online marketing things.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Sounds great. <laughs> okay. So, and um, so you were in Germany. Uh, working in marketing and sales, and in 2017, you moved to Vietnam from Germany. Uh, so, have you traveled to Vietnam or any Asian countries before you decided to move to Vietnam? Or can you just tell us, like, how did it all happen, and why did you choose Vietnam specifically?
1: So, there was no actual plan to ever move to to Asia. To be very wow, mm-hmm. I had to Asia before that but um, maybe I give you some background um, why I decided then also to to move abroad and leave Germany so I think at some point that was then after finishing or like after working these two jobs in Germany in the music industry I felt to some extent maybe not truly 100% satisfied and happy living in Germany mm. you know, probably like it had to do with many things like uh some personal stuff, but also sometimes what really um, like uh, lowered my mood was, for example, when you take the train to work in Germany and uh, in the morning, everyone looks just so grumpy. It's just it's- <laughs> I think in Germany, we have a great um, standard of, yeah, but somehow like we do not really appreciate what we have or like yeah. <laughs> they, they, they struggle with that. Yeah. So I think this kind of like pulled me um, down to some extent. And then at some point I decided, okay, I really need a drastic change. So then I quit my job. I end my relationship and I I said goodbye to my family and I only booked a ticket to Singapore. And then I had actually no plan what's going to be after that. So I had done well in my first two jobs. So I had a bit of savings um, that I could use for some time to just go out there and travel. So then first stop was Singapore. Um, I stayed there just a few days, like, like if you ever visit um, Singapore, you probably have, but like a few days is enough to explore the city. And also they say like Singapore is the Asia for beginners. Yeah. So whoever, (laughs) uh, yeah, because it's, it's so clean, kind of like Westernized in a sense. So um, if you ever plan on traveling Asia and maybe you have some, some concerns or maybe fears yeah it's super safe to go to singapore yeah you can uh, do that for sure so then stayed there a couple of days and then i booked a a flight to australia Mm -hmm. and then i um, explored australia i kind of like skipped the east coast because Mm -hmm. um, i was in my mid-20s then and then the the east coast is very um like is very um popular for young germans like to travel there and like my like the, the the reason why I wanted to to travel abroad was not to meet other fellow Germans yeah like, <laughs> to, to experience other cultures and other people so I actually skipped the the east coast part which most travelers probably do and then I started in Sydney over to Melbourne Great Ocean Road in the south and then I focused my travel experience actually on the west coast mm-hmm. yeah so- Stunning, beautiful, I feel like like pretty much untouched and you're going to see so much nature and animals and stuff like this. So um, Australia, after that, um, I went to New Zealand and then the last destination of my trip was Vietnam. And whenever I traveled a country and explored it, I tried to get the most out of it. So my traveling style is maybe like a little bit extreme. So in Australia I, I bought um, a 4x4 four four car um, an old Toyota Land Cruiser. I mean I like, 4x4 like, car? Yeah it's like it's a four, yeah like um, an off-road vehicle. Oh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. Like um you can drive along the beach yeah? or oh, like wow. and stuff like a little Super
0: bit. Super cool. It was yeah
1: amazing car I loved it and um yeah, this allowed me to, to just get a little bit off track and explore some other sites in Australia. Then in New Zealand, I did the same. I bought um, a sleeper van and I traveled both islands, so the south and the north. And in Vietnam, I bought um, a motorbike in Ho Chi Minh City. And then I was riding it all the way up to the north, to Hanoi. Plus, I extended my travel and also traveled or did the northern loop, it's called. It includes Ha Long Bay, uh, this oh, Bay, Bay. Yeah. Bay. Um, I think like some people know it because of the movie Kong, you know, this King Kong movie. Mm-hmm, they have mm-hmm. scenery from Halong Bay.
0: Bay. Oh. And um,
1: then I, I traveled further up north to Ha Zang, which is right at the Chinese border. So I could look over to the Chi- Chinese um, side. And then um, I went to Sapa, which is like a, a popular travel destination in the mountains in the north in Vietnam. And then back to, to Hanoi. So that was a 4,000-kilometer trip on a motorbike. And it was extremely adventurous, but also, I have to say, dangerous. Probably I wouldn't do that again now. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I had a lot of that adventure, but it was amazing, um, the experience I had with that. And, um, you know, when I bought, like, I always decided to, to buy things and then sell them again because probably like my selling skills at that time were already like, okay Yeah. Maybe I know one or two things about selling things and I managed to sell it at least for the same price. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, bought wow. so I bought things and then I sold them again for uh, at least the same price. So that was um, a very cool experience. And then, as I said, so my last destination was Vietnam. And by that time, I had traveled for nine consecutive months like without working. But wow. at some point, you would get travel tired. Mm-hmm. You know? So you pack and unpack your things every day. You meet new people. You say hello and goodbye <laughs> every day. And at some point, you get tired of that. Mm-hmm. You want to settle somewhere at least for some time. And also, I was really um, motivated and excited to... Um, do business again, to work again. Mm. And I was asking myself the question, okay, what are my options? Options, What what do I want to do next? And of course I had the option just to go back to Germany, do more or less the same thing that I've done before. But I felt more attracted by the idea that living abroad or finding a job in Southeast Asia is probably now more my thing.
0: Mm. And... uh,
1: I really, I think I fell in love with Vietnam, with the country, yeah, the landscape, with the people and stuff. I really liked the idea to find a job in Vietnam. And then it was um, like a funny coincidence. So while I was staying then in Hanoi, after all this traveling, I was running into the CEO of a marketing agency, a German marketing agency. Mm-hmm. And it just expanded into the Asian market. Mm-hmm. And they were up an office in hanoi so i met him and then basically we had two interview rounds and um, yeah he offered me a position as the head of sales apec at the marketing agency there uh, in hanoi so yeah that, that was um super exciting to be um also part of a like a young team and also a very small team in hanoi back then we were five people now after three years and um, when I then left at some point, the company, um, like our team was, uh, had the size of 28 people. Yeah. Wow. So we yeah. 28, which wow. was like a, a super cool ride. Uh, mm. Yeah.
0: Wow. <laughs> I had no idea that before you, because before our conversation today, I thought like you just like, Moved to Vietnam right away. I I had no idea that you traveled for nine months. Oh my gosh, that's so cool! And then one thing that uh, I wanted to ask you when you were, you know, talking about Vietnam trip, you you bought a motorbike and traveled Vietnam. When I was in Vietnam, I traveled to Vietnam. I went to how I visited Ha Bay and Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City. I love Ho Chi Minh City, by the way, such a you know cool city. But motorbike situation there is pretty crazy. So, like, for me, (laughs) I remember when I wanted to walk across to the other side, it's just, like, I have to find a way to somehow cross the road. Oh, my gosh. And then, like, you know, weren't you, like, have you ever, like, you know, ride motorbike in Germany? Or have you felt, like, scared? Or maybe, like, you're a very adventurer type of person? I don't know. We're... (laughs) How was your first motorbike experience in, you know, Vietnam?
1: Yeah, Lucy, absolutely. Like I agree with you, the traffic situation is crazy.
0: Yeah, and,
1: and especially in Ho Chi Minh City and Hanoi, um, it's so busy on the streets, and yeah, it's, it's difficult to participate in the traffic. I would say, but so I have. Um, um, like a proper motorbike license. I can ride the motorbikes. Uh, I was previously um, riding a motorbike in Germany as well. Oh, mm-hmm. Probably also all the travelers that never have uh, ridden like a motorbike and then they do this the first time in Asia they have to be very careful. Yeah. I saw accidents and travelers crashing, had to bring them to the hospital and stuff. So you have to be very careful. But um, yeah, I think once you become part of the traffic, um, you, you pick up fast. Yeah, you really mm. get... Used. So the first days were a little bit scary, me on the motorbike, and um, somehow like making my way through the cities and like uh, through the roads. But then you, you get very much used to it. And um, actually, I in fact, I still have a motorbike parked in the garage in Hanoi. When, when, when I moved from Hanoi to Singapore back then, I didn't have the time to sell it that fast. So... Next time I visit Hanoi, which is probably gonna be um, next week, yeah, next the end of next week, Um, I will check and see if it's still there. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) um, Another thing is um, crossing streets. Yeah. Uh, You you mentioned this. Um, Yeah. So the advice I can give to your listeners is that so once you do the first step on the road, yeah, never stop. Never stop. (laughs) Don't change your pace, your walking pace, really, because you're only going to confuse all Vietnamese yeah. the enemies. Yeah. They are very experienced uh, drivers and riders. Yeah. So, like, just walk slow pace and keep going. Never stop in the middle of the road. And then they will find their way around you. Mm. No problem then, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the traffic situation. But, um, Maybe let's also talk about another challenge, which I felt was language barrier. Well,
0: mm.
1: you have some Asian countries that have a very good, let's say, English-speaking level. Yeah, like Philippines, of course, or Singapore. And Vietnam, I think like, it's still sometimes a bit difficult to, to communicate with people in English. Yeah. However, I think they are really now picking up on their English level, you, you will find English centers at every corner in every city. Yeah. So mm. they know the airport. And, um, yeah. So sometimes like I tried my very best to, um, like order in Vietnamese. Uh, so, so I, I learned the very basics, um, when I was in Ho Chi Minh city, so. When I was solo sort of traveling Vietnam, I felt like, of course, you have to communicate somehow. And I'm a guest. Yeah? So I also I cannot expect only that everyone is replying to me in English. Mm. Then, within, like, let's say the first five days in Ho Chi Minh City, my goal was, okay, you got to learn some basic Vietnamese. Yeah? So then I learned, of course, like, hello, thank you, yes, no. Mm-hmm. But like, two important words were um, Nha ni, which is hotel. Oh, yeah. it's, 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 um, like uh go to villages where it's basically in, like not, not very popular for travelers because I was not traveling so much like the main or common roads. And then the other one was this thing, which is toilet. Yeah, but I think these extremely important words like for every traveler. So that was important for me to learn. Plus I learned to count and to negotiate yeah? because whenever you are not so much in a restaurant but like at a market or you want to purchase something you sometimes you have the chance to to bargain yeah Mm -hmm. even at home sometimes i would ask for like hey can you give me a special price and then of course you should talk in vietnamese and i have to say like when you try although i find it very difficult to get the pronunciation right yeah i don't know if it's just for germans like this or maybe like for everyone that tries to learn vietnamese but um they really do appreciate it if you put some effort into like, mm. to speak in Vietnamese. But also from time to time, I failed yeah, because my pronunciation was off. I can give you an example, which is um, the word, for example, zua, which is, now I hope I'm, I'm right here, which is um, pineapple. And then you have zua, which is coconut. Oh, and wow. Milk is Sua. So sometimes I was um, like just chilling at a cafe shop and uh, I was, let's say, asking actually for a pineapple juice, but they brought me a coconut. Oh. Yeah. So luckily, I like both of the things. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it really comes to the comes down to the right pronunciation in Vietnam, which I thought, thought like, OK, it's, it's not that easy for a German to learn that language.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I heard in Vietnamese, there are a lot of intonation. If I'm not mistaken, it's nine right. intonation correct? Yeah, like a lot. I don't know. I can't remember. So I, I, I you know, I, I don't know how to speak any Vietnamese. I don't even know how to say hello or thank you in Vietnamese. But I heard it's very difficult, like pronunciation yes. especially. That's it's very Absolutely. difficult. But it's so nice of you as well. Like, I think it's, um, it's always very appreciated when we are in a foreign country. When yeah. we try to speak their native language, even if we are not perfect, I think, uh, you know, every everyone would appreciate, you know, not like expecting them to respond to us in English. Not like that, but at least we right. try, uh, right? Easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So so then you, you lived in Vietnam for about three years, and then uh, you loved it, you lived there, but then you moved to Singapore. And you lived in Singapore for about two years and then now you recently moved to Malaysia. What a what a great journey. I mean Vietnam, Singapore, Malaysia. I don't think a lot of people have this uh, experience living in different countries in, in different countries in Southeast Asia. Uh, do you, from your experience, do you find any kind of distinctive like differences in each country or any any characteristics in each country and also do you have anything any advice that you want to give to any people who are dreaming to maybe move to southeast asia countries
1: right so um okay let me think about it and maybe we start with vietnam yeah so vietnam i feel like one probably of the characteristics is That's a, it's, it's a very energetic country. Yeah. People Mm -hmm. are, they are hardworking as well. And one thing that stood out to me, because also I'm very interested in like, sometimes I would run my own business, like a side hustle. Like I would try out some things kind of like, like an entrepreneur is that Vietnamese are not afraid to run their own business. Yeah, so you mm-hmm. can talk to many Vietnamese and um, probably most of them will tell you at some point they tried out a business or they have something going on. You will also see a lot of like, um, let's say, a normal house where, where, where like a family is living, but they would still offer some kind of goods at the front of their house. Yeah, So mm-hmm. it's kind of like their small own business. They don't want to miss out on any opportunity to make money in that sense. Yeah, And they are not afraid of it. So that's something that I really, like, admire and respect. Um, that, that's, I think, an absolute great thing about Vietnam. And um, talking about advice I can give um, when, you, when you would um, consider to travel or, like, to move to Vietnam is probably, yeah, what I've mentioned earlier with, like, crossing the street, and <laughs> I never stop. And um, because of the language barrier, try to maybe pick up on a few words in Vietnamese. And, like... They're gonna love it. Yeah, if you try it, they're gonna love it. And they're almost like thank you for that. And then it's just easy to connect with people and really get in touch with the culture. Another thing um I would like to mention about Vietnam is um, and I think that's quite remarkable and, and interesting as well. So when you tra- when you travel to Vietnam, also take some time to get to know or like to get educated about the Vietnam War. Mm. Yeah, so
0: mm. Vietnam
1: War is Not a topic that you would discuss with Vietnamese, like in the open. Maybe with good friends, you can ask them about opinions and stuff. But it's actually like a taboo. uh, Like, it's not really a taboo, but you don't speak about it. Mm -hmm. um, So if you have the chance to travel to Ho Chi Minh City, I can recommend to visit the War Museum in Ho Chi Minh City. Mm -hmm. I was very, very impressed. Yeah, and it's also like, was not easy to digest what what you will see inside them and learn in, in this museum. And then there were also like the Koji tunnels, which gives you an idea about like how dirty the war was fought. Yeah. And mm. so basically, then you can see and even climb into the tunnels where the Vietnamese were hiding, trying mm. to ambush the Americans. And um, like the one thing that stood out when I was visiting, for example, the museum, or you, if you would ever talk to people about it, Vietnamese people, it's like, um, you know, when we grow up, like in Germany or wherever, or we watch these, most of the movies, it's called the Vietnam War.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. you go
1: Vietnam and you go to that museum, you read and you hear the America War.
0: Oh, interesting. Now,
1: in, the, in the beginning, when I heard or read this for the first time, it's like, okay, what is the America War? I've never heard about this. Like, no, no one told me about it, but it's the, like, we know it as the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. but then also that um, kind of like is giving perspective to the to the war and what happened. Mm-hmm. So then I think this is why it's so interesting or like um, I think important to to learn about both sides when they tell the story. Yes, yeah, you learn mm-hmm. about orange and all these things. Yeah. So I think that was extremely remarkable. Like to just hear they call it, it's the America War.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's. Really something I think um everyone that travels Vietnam should should educate themselves about this. Yeah. Because it's, it's also not that long ago. Yeah, okay, so that's um yeah, what I can share about Vietnam. Now Singapore, yeah, I just recently moved from from Singapore to Malaysia and I stayed for two years in Singapore. Now, my, let's say my experience was a little bit limited because of the pandemic.
0: Oh, you know, yes, I moved true. moved mm-hmm.
1: from Hanoi to Singapore right uh, in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, actually, when, when I applied for the work visa, or like once my company back then helped me to apply for the work visa, um, there was no problem. But still, Singapore didn't allow me to travel from Hanoi to Singapore, like to, to move from Hanoi to Singapore because mm-hmm. of the covid Back then, so then I think it took three rounds, and then they allowed me, like after one or two months, to move from Hanoi to Singapore. And I think the characteristics about Singapore is, I mean, like yeah, it's clean, structured, great architecture, infrastructure, mm-hmm. and such. But it's very much about um, safety, security. Mm-hmm. And also, like, you have to, like, if you visit, you have to obey their rules. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them are quite strict. Yeah, during the pandemic, um, so you were not allowed for some time, or like only allowed to maybe, like, meet with one, per- one person. Then yeah. it's mm-hmm. 1.5. So they had these different phases. And um, so there were even, like, cases where families that live in the same house- household could not sit um, at the same um, At the same table in a restaurant, yeah, because it would violate the rule.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There were cases, so whoever violated these rules, especially as um, like an expat or foreigner, like basically you get your visa and work permit revoked, and you have mm-hmm. to leave. The country. And there were like many cases where actually like foreigners were forced or like had to leave the the country. So this then probably also one of my advices is like maybe. before traveling to Singapore, be also clear about their rules. Starts with the chewing gum. Yeah,
0: Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. true, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: So don't bring chewing gum. Then the other thing that's now really upcoming, I think in Asia but maybe Europe, it's like, um, you know, these e-cigarettes. I mean, like I think e-cigarettes works, but like a vape device. Mm -hmm. It's not allowed to bring that in. Yeah, so you would get into trouble if you bring that into Singapore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the advice is like be clear about the rules and laws, and then of course you, you need to follow them. But then on the other side, I mean, like if you would see that as something, like I don't know, it's not problematic. But um, on the other side, it's super safe. Yeah, yeah. I could even leave my phone on the table to like reserve a table at a restaurant. No one would take it. Mm-hmm. And what? was um at a bar and I, I think i just left my credit card on the counter yeah wow the next day i, I could just pick it up next There's day no even next day <laughs> so, yeah i realized only like the day after the morning like oh where's my credit card so mm-hmm. that's a cool thing about singapore probably also it's a great place if you have family Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like, let them kids live there and uh, it's extremely safe mm-hmm. so cool place and um Malaysia now, so like I moved here maybe four or five weeks ago. I think I cannot say that much about Malaysia at this point yet. However, I think the food is amazing in Malaysia. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, I think the great thing is that you have so many food options. You find great like local cuisine. So you have Malaysian food, Chinese food. But then also you have Indian and also some some very nice Thai and Vietnamese and Middle East restaurants. Yeah, so I think it's a probably a very good place for foodies to go. You can try so many things here. Um, yeah, but let's see see how it goes. Probably like if you would ask me like after six months. Or yeah. Months, <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about the characteristics and my experience here in Malaysia.
0: Well, thanks for sharing. Those are very like practical, helpful advice. And I, I for Vietnam, I knew that like you know I had like Vietnamese colleagues before, so I knew that they're very very hardworking people, yeah. uh, super diligent and everything. But um, describing Vietnam as an as an energetic country is is kind of like gives me a better idea how Vietnam is. So. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing. And also, yeah, Singapore, you know, one of the things that I love Singapore is definitely safety and security there, right? Yes. So, yeah. definitely. Yeah, Malaysia, let me know uh, after 6 yes. months we can, <laughs> how it is. going can update with
1: you in like 3 to 6 months.
0: Sure, of course. So, um so you obviously you have a great, uh, you know, life story. You have, you know, your journey is really inspiring. And many people, people find it very difficult to get out of their comfort zone, like for you, even for you, like, kind of like, not really change, well, changing career in to a certain extent as well, like changing, kind of, you know, thinking of being a drummer and then working in the music industry, and now like fully focused on sales and marketing in, you know, um, in your field what would your advice on not being afraid of, you know, taking risk and taking new adventures and not really being afraid of new challenges?
1: So I believe that, um, you can only grow personally or professionally if, if you take risk and go for challenges and basically leave the comfort zone. You know, I think we are all, um, we all know these kind of like motivational quotes and stuff like this. Yeah. But I think there is a, there is a big truth to it. And I think what helped me to kind of like getting used to, to be out of my comfort zone was probably like traveling so many countries. Mm -hmm. When you travel in particular, when you do solo traveling, you will face problems or like challenges every day. You are surrounded by a different culture, different language. And then, you have problems with finding accommodation or like when you were like, um, like, professionally, like working abroad, like you maybe have troubles with the visa, like, okay, where to eat and all these little things. Yeah. So I think when you travel or also like, once you start living abroad, you more or less become like a problem solving machine. Mm. Yeah, like you it, yeah. So you get so used to solve problems and be out of your comfort zone. I think that's great. To kind of like improve that skill in a sense to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations or just to be um, used to it. And the other advice I can give here is, so for example, when you apply for jobs mm-hmm. and and you read uh, through the the job posting and you see like the job requirements, for example. Um, it's absolutely okay. I, I feel like if you are, let's say, underqualified to some extent, it's it's okay if you are, let's say, you are qualified like maybe 60 to 80% mm-hmm. for that. Job. You know, when, when I, when I um, applied for the jobs and they invited me to the interview, like, and now I was lucky. And um, like, almost all the time I got the job, it's probably like 80 to 90%, like, I got the job that I wanted. But um, like, I never was 100% or like overqualified, yeah, you should never do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you are only, let's say, you can tick off the boxes at the requirement section, like let's say 60 to 80%, that's absolutely enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, of course, you have to deliver during the interview, but also you need to deliver in the very beginning of the job. And let's say you are 60 to 80% qualified for the position that you, that you landed. It's kind of like forcing you into like learning a lot of things in a very short period. That's, mm. of course it's putting a lot of pressure and stress on you, and it means a lot of work. You know, I am um, when I landed the first job in online marketing. Like I spent my evenings like going like uh, listening to podcasts, looking at YouTube videos, um, borrowing books. Yeah, I had um, a library pass in Singapore, which I can absolutely recommend to everyone. Super cheap, and you have access to great libraries around Singapore. So then would just borrow some books and then read mm. on the weekend. and learn about it. So, but coming back to my point, um, yeah, so it forces you to pick up on many things. So I always see myself whenever I start a new job, kind of like I'm a sponge. Yeah. And mm. I like suck in or like I get all this input in, but also I educate myself about all these topics to then really pick up on the job. And like, I would say, um, although... Um, I don't know if if any of my former bosses gonna bosses gonna <laughs> listen to your podcast, but like I, I I think you can ask all of the companies I worked for, and they would recommend my work.
0: Wow, that actually comes back to actually the first conversation that we had. You mentioned that like I think it's your character as well. You always do your best. You always put the best as you can, right? Uh, you're an achiever i think so that actually you know that actually kind of like in a way forces you to do your best so that's why i think uh that's why you can today say that right Uh, because you keep learning you keep evolving and I, I, i i i do agree with you like if we apply for a job that we are overqualified then i mean we you know Let's say we get a job, then it's gonna be comfortable, but then again, we are not gonna grow as much, right? But if you okay. apply for a job, sixty, eighty percent maybe like qualified for the job, then we just somehow put ourselves into a situation where we have to force ourselves to read a lot of books like yourself, go to a library, listen to podcasts, and watch YouTube videos. We're just like forcing ourselves to 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 grow more. So um yeah. That's uh, a that's a great advice,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
0: So I've got a couple more questions left. Uh, so you are, you know, obviously the sales and marketing expert, uh, and you've been, you know, helping companies expand their presence in Southeast Asia uh, for the past, you know, six plus years. Uh, what would be some of you know the differences that you notice if there are any between southeast asia and the european market uh, because you you know or german market like you worked in germany sales and marketing if you were to compare with southeast asia country are there any kind of like differences that you find yes i think there
1: are a few differences but even I think, like when you compare, for example, Vietnam to Singapore or Singapore to Malaysia, already there are like yeah. the differences. So I think it's it's probably difficult to to use Asia as such. Um, maybe um, like one f- funny thing is like the way how you communicate with business partners. You know? mm. So in general, I believe. Um, it's kind of like it's still, I think, more or less uh, conservative. And we try to keep a lot of things um, in an email conversation forth and back. Oh, okay. Um, then compared to Vietnam, for example, Vietnamese, like your business partners and clients, they would send you friend requests on Facebook. <sighs> <And> then, <laughs> like you, you're going to see pictures of like, where do they eat on the weekend with the family? Oh stuff. yeah, so true. It's, yeah, and um, also they are not shy about like using emojis. Yeah. And yeah. You know, I to, from CMOs and CEOs, they would like react with a heart or send like a heart emoji.
0: And in Germany, you don't, it's not
1: common. No. <laughs> no. I, th- I think I think Germany is on the way to uh, like becoming more and more relaxed. Yeah, mm-hmm. so and then maybe if you look into certain industries, it already is pretty much relaxed. But then I think overall... Germany is still quite conservative. And then in in in, in Vietnam, you have the stark contrast of kind of like relaxed and they want to connect with you on Facebook. And then I was sometimes not sure, can I share this now on Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> but they are super cool about it. They liked it and commented about it. So yeah, that, that was a fun experience. Um, and then now, for example, Singapore, like how do they communicate mostly? Now in particular in the... Digital marketing um, sector, I would say, is WhatsApp.
0: Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. the a message
1: over or like contracts through email. However, everything around that, also like um, like clarifying on questions and so on, you actually do via WhatsApp. Also, Mm -hmm. people follow, and they don't feel like disturbed in a sense when you do that. It's very very common, and most of the time you will get a response faster than if you would do it through email. So that's very common. Yeah. So I think that's, that's probably a fun thing, like how you can compare these countries.
0: Yeah.
1: Malaysia, yeah. Like I said, give me some more time. Mm-hmm. But um, also, for example, comparing Vietnam and uh, Singapore, I felt there were some differences when it comes to like the, the work culture. Mm. Uh, so I actually had like a huge learning experience when I moved from Vietnam to Singapore in a way of, so in, in Hanoi, I was managing like a, a small or mid-sized team mm-hmm. and it was a very like young, energetic, kind of like a homogeneous team. Mm-hmm. So, like, apply one leadership style that fits almost all.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then um, now in Vietnam, it's still kind of like um, difficult, let's say, to apply a modern, relaxed leadership style Yeah, from Mm. my experience. Mm -hmm. In the beginning when I started, I thought like almost like this friendly, relaxed, modern leadership style would be okay for the team Um, and also like, um, like support the company in the best way. But then I found out that this is probably not the right way, maybe at this time to, to, to lead a team. I felt like I had to check in more often with the team set maybe like smaller milestones and also Mm -hmm. give more opportunity for them to ask questions, to clarify about things. Mm -hmm. So I thought that is, for example, quite different to maybe um, some industries in Germany. And then, um, yeah, so that, that was a learning and then, okay, let's say I found my best practice management style or leadership style in Vietnam. And then I took that knowledge, and I was super excited to get started in Singapore, and mm-hmm. then I wanted to apply that management and leadership side, and I totally failed. <laughs> but also, I was I was wrong about this idea. You know, if, if you are hired as a manager, like sometimes you feel like it's expected that you should make an impact from day one on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, or so motivated and actually you want to change the whole company and like give so much important stuff from day one on. Yeah, don't do this um, because I failed extremely. So the, the team in Singapore was extremely different compared to the team in Vietnam. So I had um, team members that were like up to 10 years older than me, like completely diverse, like Singaporeans, um, Malaysians, Filipinos. And also they are used to different um, like like culture, cultures and like way of communicating and stuff. So I. Um, Yeah, I felt in a sense of, yeah, okay, I learned all these things in Vietnam. Now, Singapore is another Asian country. So let's get in there and, like, push the team to, okay, follow my guide uh, kind of like. And I failed. I clashed with some team members. And uh, at one point, like, let's say maybe week three or four, I felt like, okay, that doesn't work this way. Yeah, But I don't blame the team for it. Yeah, It's Mm -hmm. just like when you come, I think, especially to Singapore, which is so multicultural and when you have like a heterogeneous team they are so different then you truly have to basically apply different management styles almost on an individual level yeah so you have to really find out what um what motivates each of your team members and then apply um different styles to get the most out of them but also to give the most Uh so that that was a huge learning from me and Probably that's that's one advice that I can give to everyone that let's say is thinking to like changing jobs in a management mm-hmm. role or even considering like okay let's let's move abroad. It's like in the very beginning, don't be that manager that wants to change the world on day one. <laughs> yeah, Like, you <laughs> oh, get there, you observe,
0: yeah? yeah, take
1: notes, get familiar with workflows with your team members, try to find out what motivates them or what demotivates them Mm. and then step by step, you can apply changes and make an impact in the company. That's that's one of my biggest learnings and that's uh, one advice I'd like to share.
0: Wow, that's super, super amazing. I mean, like, you know, being a leader is definitely not an easy role, right? But I think, you know, you, you know, from what I hear, what I hear from you, you keep like, learning, you keep growing, you keep evolving, you keep like applying kind of different kind of strategies and tactics to, you know, to be, to be the, I guess, like best version of yourself, I guess. So I think uh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, just uh, last two questions, and I'm gonna let you yes. go. <laughs> so Okay, so we've talked a lot about your personal journey and professional journey as well. Uh, Do you have any life mantra that you live by? That's a big question, but...
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a big one. But um, maybe I think uh, we touched on this maybe a little bit already, and it's um, that my mantra is something like that you... Take a risk, or you lose a chance or opportunity mm. and let's when you take the risk, yeah, make sure you give your very best, mm. because then like if you fail, things don't work out, it's like in my case, yeah, when I wanted to pursue like a career as a musician and become like a rock star drama, like um like I gave my very best, but it didn't work out, and then eventually, like also like things fall into place, you will see new opportunities coming up. And um, now I can look back. Uh, so, so I'm 32 years now. And um, I tried um, that music career path in my early 20s. So I'm, I absolutely have like a peace of mind. I don't feel like I missed out on an mm. opportunity. Because I think it would be the worst, let's say in my mid-40s or something. it's would be like, hmm, why did, haven't I tried to become yeah. like a musician at some point? Yeah. No, I tried it. And then I realized, okay, music is going to be my hobby and my uh, Forever passion. So and um, yeah. So I wanted to become a rockstar drummer, but I'm um, I mean, like, who says that you don't become a rockstar in a different field? Yeah? yeah. Like you know, maybe I'm on my way to become, or I try my best to become a rockstar in marketing and sales.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. So the last question. So this is a question that I ask uh, all my guests. So, what is your favorite book uh, that you like to recommend to our listeners, or any book that you like to recommend for uh, listeners?
1: Is it okay to share too?
0: Of course.
1: <laughs> All right. So I, I think, um, like, thinking about some books maybe that I, I had read this year was um, number one, but like, it's a shame on me. Like, I, I don't know the name of the author, but like, number one is Effectfulness.
0: Impact, sorry?
1: It's called Factfulness.
0: Factfulness, okay. Mm -hmm.
1: So it's it's a book that helps you um, to put data and statistics into perspective. You know, I think the problem is like, for example, when we consume like news on a daily basis, um, then it kind of like gives us a negative mindset or it almost sounds like, okay, the world's going to end next week.
0: Mm.
1: Because you hear all these bad news. But this book teaches you like to put these things into perspective, but also realizing that actually we as like a civilization have achieved quite something. Yeah. So if you would compare like certain statistics and data, like comparing back to like 50 years ago, hundred years ago, we are actually improving as a civilization. I think that's, um, it's, it's a good book gives you a perspective and, um, yeah, an idea about how to read data statistics. And not feeling negative, for example, about um, all the news that we consume mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And then the second book I recommend is called The Cold Start Problem.
0: Okay. I think this,
1: is, this is a very good book for entrepreneurs and startup founders, but not just that. So the book gives you an idea about how to um, like start and grow a company and you know, there are many companies that face challenges in the very beginning. For example, uh-huh. in this book, they have um, Uber as uh-huh. as one of the examples. And at Uber, you have the problem. I mean, like you are aiming for hyper growth, but um, to get any good like user experience on your platform for users, you need enough drivers they uh-huh, offer uh-huh. you. So it's kind of like how to overcome that problem um between supply and demand when it comes to drivers mm. but also, because only if you have enough drivers the user will have a good user experience
0: that's actually true mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so
1: i think that's that's a great book yeah not just for entrepreneurs and um like startup founders or foreigners yeah um it's it's a very cool book what's uh, the name like, again
0: sorry the- it's called um
1: cold start problem
0: cold start problem
1: Yeah.
0: cold start problem right. wow Wow, well, it's fascinating because those two books that you just recommended, I haven't heard. So I'm excited to I'm excited to to read those books. This, tell me what
1: you think about it.
0: Yeah, definitely. It. Those two books sound very interesting. I'm definitely I think I'm definitely gonna start with the uh, the cold start problems yeah. <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah. Great. Thanks for thanks for sharing. Um, you know, thanks for your time as well. Um anything we're gonna wrap up now, but anything that you'd like to share before before we wrap up?
1: I mean like th- Lucy, thanks for having me. I really um, appreciated the talk. It was was super nice and pleasant talking with you. Um yeah, I think maybe like um coming back to the mantra, yeah, to everyone that is listening, I mean like don't be afraid, yeah, leaving the comfort zone or like try to be comfortable, okay, um, whenever you, you leave your comfort zone. Yeah, because otherwise you're gonna miss some opportunities. And um, yeah, I think it's uh, one of the best decisions I have ever made. Like to experience other countries. Like leaving my home country. Like who knows? Maybe at some point I'm gonna um, I'm gonna move back to Germany. Yeah, who knows? But um, I think that was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. Like so far, let's say in the last ten years. Yeah, I, at least I can say that.
0: Wow! 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 Experience is everything, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: All right. Thanks so much, Meredith. So pleasure to meet you today and I really enjoyed our conversation today.
1: Thank you, Lucy. It was a great pleasure. Thanks.
0: Thank you for joining us this week. Hope you learned something new from this episode and now you are motivated and fired up to make your dream come true make sure to share with others who might need to listen to this podcast because this is something they needed to listen to to be inspired we never know lastly be sure to subscribe and follow self-made Express with lucy john on apple Podcasts or spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and i will talk to you very soon thanks for being here